everybody are you glad to be here oh oh come on now I found a hundred dollar bill up here who wants it okay now are you glad to be here tonight are you glad to be saved stand to your feet tonight I love this song right here you know if we just came to eat the dinner and leave then we're meeting in vain if we just come to see our fellow friends that we haven't seen since Sunday, we come in vain. But if we come and meet with the Holy Spirit, that's what it's all about tonight, church. Let's sing this right here. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I love this verse right here. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, 
presence, Lord. Church, y'all sing it to him tonight. children go out into the fellowship hall tonight father i pray that the presence of god will be so strong out there and father right here in this sanctuary father would you meet with us once again father we're here to meet with you let the holy spirit flow through us tonight father in jesus name i pray amen
everybody. If you got your Bibles ready, turn to Second uh, Samuel chapter number twelve. Second Samuel chapter twelve. Oh, okay. Second Samuel chapter twelve, and uh, that's right after First Samuel. Yep, right before. I think it's before First uh, Kings, right? Second Samuel, and I had some things, if you, Patty, will you go to my office and look on my, I don't have any like specific study notes for this one, but I've got you some sermon notebooks if you want to have some of those, you can always write your own study and stuff like that, but it's, uh, she'll bring some out if you want one, there's only about 20 of them, but if you got a piece of paper, scratch paper, you can write it down tonight, but I want to preach to you about accountability and about uh, what a wonderful gift accountability is. And when you think about accountability, um, it's kind of a lost word in the language <laughs> that, that we speak in our society today because we have, these are just, real quick, these are just study notebooks. You can write down sermons forever in any different person and stuff if you want one of them. And uh, if you don't get one, uh, it's okay. These people are paying $10 each for theirs and you can give me $10 later. Uh, but, uh, they're just simple little bitty notebooks if you needed to write some notes down. Um, but <clears throat> I'll wait and we'll get started when they give that out. We're, we're going to try to make this quick tonight. I heard somebody walking down the hall by my office that said that uh, whew, they needed to lay down after eating. So I'm going <laughs> to... I'm not going to look at them, but I know who it was. I'm always listening. I'm always listening. And that taco salad, I said, we'll have to, we can't have a real long service tonight, right? But are you glad to be here? Amen. Amen. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you coming. I Hopefully, I, we share something tonight that, uh, um, you know, we always want to be a blessing. We always want to help. But really, apart from the Holy Spirit of God, what Brandon was singing about, we, we can't help you know what I mean? We try our best, but our best laid plans are really nothing without the Lord. And so tonight when we're talking about this accountability. You, you get in trouble a lot of times. When you try nowadays, especially to even hold a Christian accountable to the Word of God, they get angry with you. They get frustrated with you because immediately they go into this defensive mode to where you're judging them and that you're coming against them. And when you're trying to hold a brother or a sister accountable, it, it's not that you know it. It's got to be done in the right tact. You've got to do it in the right way and speak the word with love. The Bible says, let your conversations be seasoned with grace, right? And I don't know, there's a lot of people that don't have that grace salt shaker uh, in their speech, and uh, we need to let our conversations be seasoned with grace. But holding each other accountable is what we're supposed to do. Uh, when we see one another fall, the Bible says we're to go to a brother or a sister and to help them to come out of that. It says if they don't hear, then we're to take a brother and sister with us and then go to them and try to do what? To try to help them and hold them accountable to the Word of God. One of the things that uh, kind of gets under the pastor, if you want to know what gets under the skin of the pastor sometime, is the, the simple fact of, man, when the Word's preached to you and, and you say you're a Christian, not lost, but you say you're a Christian, and I see people run away from it whenever they're in sin or whenever they have something wrong or when they, they even have a storm, when they run away from the Word of God, that's so like 
burdensome to me because I go, man, that's not the time to run away. Now the time's to do like Paul and stand on the boat and say, I believe God, sirs, I believe God, and we need to hold on to, you know, this ship's going to go down, and we got a big storm in front of us, but if you'll just hold on to a plank of the board and just kind of stay with the stuff, as one old preacher preached one time, stay with the stuff, you'll, you'll make it, amen? But accountability is just looking at the Scripture. The Bible tells us Scripture's like uh, iron sharpeneth iron, and so did the countenance of a friend. Uh, the Bible Bible teaches us that we are to bear one another's burdens. The Bible also teaches us, Brother Matt, as he shared his testimony this last Sunday night, one of the things that I was uh, talking to him about afterwards, I said, man, the scripture you were looking for is that the Bible says confess your faults one to another. And what it means is, is that we're to be open with one another and we're not always to go, hey, I got everything figured out. Because really, that, that's just a lie. We don't have everything figured out. But we also need to know that if a brother or sister, whether they're younger or they're older, it doesn't matter. If they come to you and they're holding you accountable to the Word of God, it's a wonderful gift. Amen. Second Samuel chapter number 12 talks about this. If you've read your Bible before, and you've, uh, even if you haven't, you'll know what we're talking about in just a moment. You know, you've heard the story about David. You know the story of David and Bathsheba. You know, everyone, it seems like from vacation Bible school all the way to to uh, children's church and Sunday school, we know about David. We know that he, he killed a bear and he killed a lion. We know that he killed Goliath. We know he did all these great things. But you also get to the point in the story, and maybe you come on up into the teenage Sunday school class and you hear the story about this great guy that did all this stuff, and he slung a rock and he hit man in the forehead, and then all of a sudden you hear about him having an adulterous affair and, and having a man killed, and he's a, a premeditated murderer and all this stuff, and you're going, that can't be the same David, but it was the same David, amen? So I want to I preach from 2 Samuel chapter number 12 tonight, and I want to ask you to pray with me as I pray. Father, as we come to you tonight, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here and to be able to go into your word of God. We thank you so much for the spirit of God, as Brother Brandon and the others sang about, Lord, knowing that you are the one that's welcome in this place. And apart from you, Lord, we have no understanding, we have no wisdom. And God, I know that there are many people that are home tonight because they're sick. And Lord, we are thankful for that. But we ask you that you touch them. And Lord, I ask you just to give them some rest. Let them uh, let their bodies rest. Let their bodies heal. I ask you, God, that you'd watch over them and protect them. And maybe even some tonight that are sick that are watching from home, Lord, through the live stream service. We thank you for that gift and that ability to be able to do that. And Lord, we ask you that as we go into the word tonight, whether we are here or whether those people that are at home and they're listening, God, that you would take them on this journey, that you would walk them, them through this scripture. Um, God, the way that you've walked me in the last two or three weeks in the scripture. I ask you, Lord, to help us see something. Lord, we're not asking you to give us something that's not there. We're asking you, Lord, to give us something maybe we haven't seen before and uh, help us to understand some truth. In Christ's name, we ask all of these things, Lord. Amen. Look with me at 2 Samuel uh, chapter number 12. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, it says, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. It says, And the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb. As, as my dad preached one time a long time ago. He said, One ewe lamb. And uh, I, said, I said, Dad, that, that's you, lamb. And he said, well, you is spelt Y-O-U. He said, that's Ewe. He said, I thought, and I said, what was you thinking? He said, I thought it was an Ewe little lamb. And I said, only in the mind of my father. 
It says, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his own bosom, or lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. It says, and there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress something to eat for the wafering man that was coming to him. He says, but he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thou art the man. It says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Don't you look at these things. He said, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? He said that thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. He says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. He says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives from before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son, for thou didst it secretly. But look at what God says, But I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of our Lord to blaspheme, and the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Now, you look at these scriptures, it's kind of hard sometimes, especially even in the next scripture in verse 15, and you read that the Bible it says that God afflicted or God struck the child and the, di- the child died. And you look at these things and you go, this seems like a very mean God. It seems like a God who is uh, uh, just almost overbearing instead of overwhelming with love. It's overbearing because he can't handle the punishment. But we've got to look at all scripture, and you've got to look at the full context to understand what's going on here. And the first thing that we want to talk about the first thing that I see look at verse number one the Bible says Nathan was sent by God to David if you're taking notes Nathan was sent by God to David he was sent out by him look at verse number one it says and the Lord sent Nathan unto David it's that simple I'm sitting there reading that you know sometimes we get into Revelation or we get into the book of Ephesians and Galatians and you get into these deep things man and we we start talking about mathematics we start talking about you know uh, all kinds of crazy stuff like the electromagnetic spectrum and all that kind of junk we we get into stuff like that and you're going man it's so deep But we don't always have to go so deep in order to understand some kind of good truth that's in the Word of God. This is a very good truth. And you go, well, what is it, Brother Steve? What's really uh, so great about Nathan going unto David? Well, you got to think, first of all, at what time of David's life was Nathan, Nathan being sent over there? Number one, it was a sinful time of David's life. David was in sin. Not all of us like to go and talk to somebody when they're in sin. 
Not all of us like to say, all right, Lord, I'm trying to live this holy and righteous and what? Sacrificial life. Romans chapter 12, verse number one, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord. What is what? It's your reasonable service. It's, it's, it's almost in the thing where it's not unreasonable. It's just, it should be second nature to us to present our lives unto the Lord as a living sacrifice. The Bible says that the Lord sent Nathan unto David. I want you to look at the beginning of that and understand that Nathan is not going on his own behalf Nathan is being sent by the Lord to go and speak to David. We ought to be thankful that God sends people to us and into our lives, even though it may be a sinful time of our life, we ought to be thankful that God sent someone by, that God specifically said to Nathan, Nathan, in his prayer time, Nathan, I want you to go and speak unto David. And I believe with all of my heart that not only, Brother Craig, did God say, Nathan, you need to go talk to David, but Nathan, this is where David is at. We understand that there are prophets of God that have gone and spoke. We know that there was a prophet that went and spoke unto who? King Saul. And already knew the sin that he was committing because God had already told him before he went what Saul was doing. And whenever he came over the hill, you remember, oh, good Saul, King Saul said, hey, praise be to the Lord. You know, I've done everything the Lord has commanded me to do. And the prophet said, well, then what means the lowing of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen, right? The bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen, what? What's that I hear? If you, if you did what you're supposed to do, everything was supposed to die. Every animal, every creature, everything of the Amalekites were supposed to be killed. Then why do I hear all these other things? And why do you have King Agag over there in your tent and you're saving him? See, God doesn't only work on the life of the sinner. But if we would realize our purpose, if you were here Sunday morning, I, I said, I don't know, maybe 20 times I said, if you only knew what you have in Jesus. If you only knew what you have in Christ, if you only knew what God's doing in you, well, you know what? If you only knew that not only does God work in the life of sinners that are out there and he is convicting them, but he's also working in the lives of you and me to where we would go and help these people to understand what sin is. The Bible says that the Lord sent Nathan to David. At what time? Number one, it was a sinful time. We know the story. I'm not going to go really, really deep into this. You know the story. Bathsheba, David was a man of war, a king of war. He was ordained and anointed as a king, but David was the one that was the man of war and should have been out. The Bible says before the adultery when he committed with Bathsheba, before that happened, did you know that the Bible says in the beginning, it says, and at the time when the kings went out to war, David was on the rooftop. See, the king should have been at war, but he was at home. And when you're lazy and when you don't have a mission and when you don't have a purpose in life and you're running on idle, I promise you, Satan is going to try to take those times and those moments and he's going to persuade you and tempt you and all of this stuff. And so David should have been somewhere, but he wasn't. But what happened? We know that he looked over. I've, I've talked about this for years. I think God is amazing. I think God also has some kind of sense of humor or maybe just my messed up sense of humor. But he looked over and he's on the rooftop and he sees a woman by the name of Bathsheba and she be taking a bath, right? And she has no clothes on. He commits lust. He begins to lust. He actually plans out, brings her in while her husband is at war, brings her in, has an affair with her, and we know that she conceived the child and you know what? At this time in David's life, not only was it sinful, but number two, it was selfish. It was a selfish time in David's life. I don't want you to turn there, but let me read it. I'll turn over there real quick. 
if I can find it. You would think that a preacher would know exactly right where they are, and when he opened up his Bible, it would just kind of fold open right there, but it doesn't, especially when I got a new one because I had to get bigger font. I want you to listen to some of these things that David said. This was at a time when David's sin was going on with Bathsheba, and he was talking about them in the Psalms. Listen to what he says. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silent, listen to what he says, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. David, at this time when Nathan is coming, we know that it's got to be at least eight months to ten months at the time because the baby is fixing to be delivered and is going to be sick. A lot of people think, well, maybe it was immediately when it happened, but I believe with all of my heart because of Psalms 32 and another one that I'm going to read that David had opportunities and days to where he could have repented of it. He could have come straight to God, just like you and I. But you know what David did? He had Uriah killed, and he kept sweeping it under the rug. He actually brought Uriah, which was Bathsheba's husband, and brought him back and got him drunk, not only once, but twice, in order to go down to his house and think that that child would be his. David is nowhere near acting like a person of God. He is now in all flesh mode. He is now working off of the factor of what? I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get caught. And so what does he do? He's sweeping everything under the rug. Not only that, he takes a note and he gives it into the hand of his right-hand man by the name of Joab, which was the captain of his army. And he told Joab in that note, Uriah, he put it in Uriah's pocket and said, give it to him. When you get to the battle, he was actually carrying his own death sentence. And he walks over to Joab. Joab reads the letter, and you know what it says? It says, when the heat of the battle comes against us and the children of Ammon are fighting against us, then take everyone else and back up from the line. But put Uriah on the front line. Why? Because if he's on the front line, then all things are handled. He is killed in the act of war, and David is not acting like a believer of God at all. He's sweeping it under the rug. And before we look at David and begin to judge, there's many times, many times that I've seen people, and maybe even you and myself, we've gone through these same things. David is what? He's at a selfish time in his life. Listen to these words. He says, when I did not cry out for forgiveness, when I kept silence, he said, my bones were waxing old. Through what? Through my roaring all the day. He says, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. He says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sins. We understand this now because he's writing it after he finally confessed his sin. But you know what David did? If you were to go and look, you'll understand that in Psalms chapter 51, also, let me read a few verses of scripture there. In Psalms 51, if you're writing it on the notes, you can go back and read it later. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin he says for i acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me against thee the 
only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. He says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You desire, behold, thou desirest the truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And listen to what David is saying. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He said, hide your face, Lord, from my sins, and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. David lost a lot of things because of sin in his life. He never lost the presence of God, and neither do you and I. But David lost his joy. David lost his peace. David lost his sanity. David lost what else? He lost his sleep. He lost sleep, so now he is weary, he's worn out, he's burdened. He says the hand of the Lord is heavy on him and doing all these things, all because of why, church? Because of disobedience. And now Nathan is sent by God to David to do what? In a sinful time and a selfish time. But I love this part, so I wrote down, I love this word. It's probably one of my favorite words that the Bible uses. Also in a sufficient time, in a perfect time, a sufficient time, God's not going to allow you. Let me tell you something. Are you a believer? Anybody here a born-again believer of Jesus Christ? God's not going to allow you to stay in sin. You're not going to go through life and say, I got saved when I was eight, and then when you're 88, you've never worshipped him. You've never attended his house to praise him, to give him glory. You've never had any fruit, and then everyone stand around your casket and talk about a great Christian you are. That's not truth. And I don't mean to be ugly, but that is not truth. Those who have given their lives because Christ has given his life for them, they in turn love him in such a way that they give their lives, not in death, but give their lives in living to honor him and to glorify him, to brag on him. And let me tell you something, what's great about God, if you're his child, he's not going to let you stay out and sin long. Anybody in here, a parent, anybody... I'm fixing to ask this question. Anybody in here ever had a parent? <laughs> Think about it. You know what I mean? You don't let them go long into sin. There are times that you go, all right, they've got to learn a lesson. You know what I mean? And they're going to learn a lesson, and eventually they're going to come back. They're going to come back. But there's also times where it goes, no, it's enough. They're not learning their lesson. I'm going to go over and tell them that. I got to go over and do that. The other day, we were joking around. My, my, my dad, we were talking in the prayer meeting, and my dad, we were, we were talking about Margo. And Margo's a little bitty, and she's walking around now and saying a few words and stuff like that. And so we were at their house eating dinner. And, and my mom and dad, we, we've taken the back porch off the back, and it's probably about an eight, maybe ten-foot drop. You know, we don't have any steps or anything like that. Don't be concerned. You look concerned. It's okay. They don't go out the back door. And uh, so we're going to redo a thing. We're talking about rebuilding this other stuff. And so all of a sudden, Margo took off toward the back door. And all of the other adults begin to go, where's she going? And they go running in there. My dad's sitting there eating, and he just does this. I wouldn't go out that back door if I were you. You know, and I'm like, well, I'm sure she heard you. You know, I'm sure she grabbed a hold of that one. You know what I mean? But. See, sometimes you can say that. Sometimes you can go, I wouldn't do that if I were you. But sometimes you have to go, nope, i got to call their hand on it, and i got to go to them and to do that. And that's what God is saying. When I say a sufficient time, listen to me. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful 
that I know I am human and I know that I am sinful in flesh, but praise God, I am spiritual in the spirit. I'm sinful in flesh, and I do like Paul, just like you and I every day. I wrestle with flesh and spirit every day of my life, but I am so thankful that if I sin, that I have a God that will not dangle me and let me go over there, but he will send someone or his word himself because it's sufficient. He's, he says, that's it. You're not playing at it anymore, and that's what he did with David. You've got to look at his misery. Here's the second thing I want to show you. It's found in verse 1 again, but it says not only did Nathan uh, was sent by God to David, but look at this. Let's rearrange it, but Nathan went to David by God, and what I mean by that, he, when he went to him, I don't know why. I hope you can see that, but it's messing up on us tonight. Maybe it was because I saved it in a different format, but uh, hopefully I'll, I'll say it slower, but Nathan went to David by God, and some of you go, Brother Steve, That doesn't seem very different, but look at the verse again. The Bible says in verse 1, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. Now that that is God saying to Nathan, Go to David and speak to him. But now look at what Nathan does. The Bible says, And he came unto him. You know, so many times, let me ask you this. Have you always done what God's told you to do? And every single time he's told you to go and speak and go and help and do those things, we haven't always done that. Nathan in the Scripture should be looked at as a great friend because not only is he being led by God, but this guy's being obedient to God. It's one thing to walk around and tell everybody, oh, well, the Lord told me to go talk to Craig, or the Lord told me. I mean, I'm just picking on Craig tonight, evidently, but the Lord told me to go talk to Craig, you know, and I'm going to go tell Brandon, the Lord told me to talk to him and stuff, and if Brandon's a good friend to hold me accountable, he should look at me and go, well, why are you telling me? Why don't you go talk to Craig? You know what I mean? But the Bible says that Nathan went. And he went because God told him to do it. You know, I want you to think for a moment about the last time that Nathan and David talked. Now, I don't know 100% other than just Scripture, and the last time that there's anything recorded of them speaking together is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, they are celebrating a great victory over enemies that were coming against the children of Israel. And as they're celebrating this great victory over their enemies, you know what happens? David starts getting stirred up in his heart. And he's looking at his house, and he's looking at the palace. He's looking at these things. And he gets so stirred up, Brother Brennan, that he begins to say, why am I sitting in a place like this and being known as the king while my God doesn't have a home of his own, while my God doesn't have a temple? or a place of worship like that. And what he was saying was, he said, I'm going to build my Lord a permanent house. I'm going to build one, you know what he said, out of the cedars, out of the uh, cedar wood, which was talking about the cedars of Lebanon. And he was talking about, I'm going to get the greatest kinds. I'm going to do all these things. And Nathan and David are having a conversation in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Nathan, the prophet, looks over at David and goes, man, that's a good idea. You know what I mean? That's Steve's terminology, but what he looked at and he said, he said these things right here. He said, God would be with you. He said, God would be with you in all of these things. But the Bible says that Nathan went home and he went to bed and God began to speak to him and God began to tell Nathan what he needed to go back and tell David. And what he told David was, he says, listen, yes, what a wonderful thought you've had. He said, I've not had a house in the land of Israel. I've dwelt in tents the whole time. And the, the desire and the passion that you have about doing this is good, but you will not be able to do it because he was a man of war and shed blood. He said, but you will have a son that will do that. And he said this, and he wasn't talking about Solomon in this part. He was talking about Solomon building the temple, but he said, 
said, you also, listen, you will have a son. And through the seed, through your seed, David, through what? The tribe of Judah. He said, there will be one that will sit on the throne forever. And your kingdom will be established forever. Amen. Oh, actually, not your kingdom. My kingdom will be established forever through all that. And that's the last conversation they had. So think about it, written in the word. So think about it for a moment. Last conversation you've had is you've just whipped some evil people in the name of God, amen. You've also talked about building God a house. You know that you're not going to do it, but man, one of your seed, one of your descendants is going to do it. You know what I mean? One of your children is going to do it, and you're so excited. And now the next time in Scripture that the prophet is talking to you, he's coming to address you about what? Not how you've won victory, how you have committed adultery how you have a child out of wedlock, how you have uh, made, uh, or, uh, made arrangements for a man to be killed, how you've had him murdered and premeditated. Now the prophet's coming to talk. So think for a moment, church, Nathan praying for the king and going, Lord, be with the king, and Lord, bless the king. Never thinking God in one of those prayers is going to say, Nathan, you must go and speak to David, and you must go and speak to him about what he has done and the sin that he's committed. Church, let me tell you something. As good as you think you are and as good as you think everybody is, there may be a time that the person sitting next to you, behind you, or in front of you, that God will say, hey, you know what? I mean, they've been kind of roaming around and wandering around. You know, I need you to go and speak to them. Hold them accountable. And you're going to go, Lord, you must not be talking to me. You must be talking to somebody else. You've got to be talking to my husband or my wife to do something like that. Or you know what? I'll tell, God, I'll go tell Steve, and Steve can go do all of it, Right? Right, exactly. Y'all were supposed to amen in that. But man, it's a total different message. But what did the Bible say? Look at these words. That he came to him. Nathan was obedient. Here's the third thing. Nathan spoke the words of God to David. Nathan did not speak his own, but he spoke the words of God to David. Can you imagine with me? And I've used this illustration before, and I love preaching on this text, but I'm hopefully, hopefully going to show you something different tonight than ever because God showed me something out of it different. But I've often thought about Nathan's traveling as he's going to find David. You know what I mean? He, he's had the great conversation, you know, chapter 7, and now he's having to go and talk to him about this. And I often imagine in my mind, all right, Lord, I wonder if Nathan ever did, does what, uh, what I do. Where like, I'm, I'm playing it out in my mind how it's going to go. You know, I, I, when I immediately come up, you know, what's the first words going to come out of my What are they going to be? You know what I mean? Are you just going to, do you just need to get straight to the point and go, hey, God's told me you're sinning. You know what I mean? Or, or do you kind of ease your way in there? Or did Nathan just go, hey, Lord, you got to give me a door of opportunity. You got to help me out. You're going to have to do all this stuff. And I believe Nathan to be that kind of prophet. And the reason you say, really, how would you know that? Because I believe all of these other faithful men and women of God that have done the same thing Nathan had to do we find them praying about God giving those words, God speaking through them, God using them, amen? And so Nathan had to be one that said, Lord, let my words be your words and not my own. And so when Nathan comes up, what does he do? He speaks to him in a parable. And you look at this and you go, well, what are you talking about in a parable? A parable, listen, it helps us. Here's one of the things I wanted you to write down. A parable helps us to understand unwelcome truth sometimes. You know, you know what an unwelcome truth is? It's a truth that's true, but it don't mull over very good. You know what I'm saying? It's dry toast without butter, all right? And it just doesn't settle well. It's a, it's a pot of turnip greens without onion and cornbread, all right? And here comes Nathan, 
And he's going to speak these things unto David, and he's going to confront him and hold him accountable to the truth that he says he believes. And Nathan begins speaking in a parable because why? Look at what Jesus did. Sometimes those truths that come to us, especially when we're in moments of what? Remember, David was in the season of sin. He was in the season of selfishness, and he was in the season where God was like, you got to wrap this up. You're going to have to get this stuff straight. So he would, God's hand was heavy on him. He was pressuring him. His bones were aching. His tears were drying up. He said, I can't even cry about it anymore. And so now here comes Nathan, and instead of Nathan going, hey, David, I know you had an affair with uh, being John the Baptist kind of a man. You know what I mean? I know you had an affair with Bathsheba. I know that you watched her. I know you did all these things. I know all this stuff, and you've had Uriah killed. He comes up, and he gets the hold of the heart of David. And you say, how did he get a hold of the heart of David? What did David do in the beginning of his life as a young, ruddy boy? He was a shepherd. He tended the sheep and cared for the sheep. If David, if anyone knew how precious that those little lambs and those little bitty ewee bitty lambs and you lambs would be, I miss him tonight, it would be David. If anyone would understand the job and the role and the closeness and the attachment of a sheep or lamb, it would be a little shepherd boy named David. And so what does Nathan do? I promise you, I don't believe it's in Nathan's wisdom because I don't believe that we're smart enough to do these things. I believe it was Nathan depending on God to speak through him. Nathan gives him a parable. Not only do parables help us to understand unwelcome truths, but the second thing is this. Parables help us to understand forgotten or covered up sin. It's like in these parables when Jesus spoke them and even Nathan, it's almost like, man, Brother Tommy, he, it's almost like he's standing there and as he's sharing the story, he's holding a mirror up so that David could actually see it. You know, I love preaching the Word, and I love, I love telling stories through the Word. I love using earthly illustrations, which are parables that have heavenly meanings, you know. And I love, uh, I heard a man years and years ago, as one guy was singing a song, he leaned over and he said, paint the picture. And what he was talking about, while you're singing, paint that portrait and paint the picture, you know. And I've had the privilege of, and uh, the the wonderful uh, blessing of people coming saying, sometimes when you're preaching, it's like you're walking us through a movie and you can kind of see all those things. Now, I pray about that all the time. And that's what God does with parables. He uses these stories in order to do what? He says, hey, let me share something with you about being uh, um, faithful and being unfaithful. He said, he said there was a man that had two sons. Jesus said, and he, the man, the, uh, the uh, husband of the vineyard, uh, the husbandman of the vineyard, he, t- he told them both to go and to work out in the vineyard. And he said, one of them said, I'll go and work out there, Dad. And he said, and he ended up not going and working. He said, the other one told him, I ain't going out there and working. He said, but the other, he ended up repenting and going out working. He said, which one do you think were the right ones? And you know what he was doing that day to those Pharisees? He was holding up a mirror. And that parable was showing them their forgotten or covered up sin. When they brought the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, which if you understand that, they did all that to tempt Jesus, not to do anything by the law. Because if they were going by the law, the Levitical law did not state bring the woman. It said bring the man and the woman, and they stoned them and killed them right there. But they were trying to catch Jesus in order to do what? To get him to do something that was contrary to the law, because the law also tells them as they were there, 
there that no man, one alone, could do what? Confess any kind of verdict to kill someone, but they wanted Jesus to take the whole verdict, and then they would have caught him on that. And so it was just a big old huge trap. And what did Jesus do? He stooped down, and he took a mirror, and he flashed it at him. Amen. When he wrote in the sand, whatever he was writing, and we don't know what he was writing, but whatever he was writing showed all of those people a mirror from the eldest to the youngest because they walked away in order. Amen. Dropping the stone. So the parables are good. Parables are good for dumb people like me because it helps me to understand something spiritual that I would never understand apart from the Holy Spirit of God and simple wording. So look at this parable. Look at this parable. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 2. I know y'all are thinking we're not going to get there tonight, but we are. The last part's going to go fast. It says, this rich man, or excuse me, look at verse number one and then verse number two. I think maybe one's up there. I'm not sure, Brett. If it's not, we're good to go. It says, he came unto him and said unto him, there were two men in one city. The one was rich and the other was poor. It says in verse two, and the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And it says, and there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. When you look at that, it's this story about First of all, number one, it really isn't about the rich man or the poor man. It really isn't about what, what, what Nathan's trying to get to. It really wasn't about that. It wasn't really about having uh, this one to feed the wayfaring stranger. What got the heart of David was that this poor man had a small ewe lamb that he bought with his own money and brought it up with his own hand he said he fed it with his own meat, meaning that he gave of it all of his land that he had, but yet he had to feed it even from his own plate. It said it drank of his own cup, and it laid in his bosom and was as unto him a daughter. He was talking about this close relation, almost not in the sense of this guy being a shepherd, almost in the sense of this guy, because the Bible teaches us what? He didn't have a flock of sheep that were out there. He had one. So when you look at this, that's like us. All right, I'm going to give you the illustration because you're looking at me funny. When we were younger, my brother always thought it funny to buy the kids animals. We thought it funny to buy loud toys in reverse. When Andrew was two years old, my brother has the idea, I'm going to buy about four chicks, and I'm going to get a duck. You know what I mean? And I'm like, where are we going to put those things? I don't, I don't have any chicken houses and all this stuff. And it turned out that we did not get four hens or chickens. We had three roosters, one chicken, and a duck, you know. Yes. And... All these things grew up, and we didn't have anywhere to put them. We didn't know what to do with them. And by, listen, they started growing up, and then all of a sudden, animals got them. But the duck used to follow Andrew. Andrew was two years old and walk up the driveway like this, and the duck would follow him and walk up the driveway and stuff. Andrew loved that thing. Man, he loved that duck. When it died, he was upset. 
You know, we, we, we had a little dog years ago that I even brought to vacation Bible school. It was Lucy, uh, I called her Lucy One now, and she was Lucy One, and, and I made her do tricks, and she was my cowpoke dog and all that stuff, and, and whenever she died, I said, no more. I'll never have another one. It hurt, and you can laugh and make fun of me all you want. I don't care. I said, I can't do it. My heart can't take it. The kids would go, we want another dog. I said, no, you don't. You want your dad to have another dog take care of it, you know? And, and, and so I was like, no, 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 no. And then Patty come up, and she was like, I think I would like to have a dog. So I got Lucy, too. And when we got Lucy, too, I trained her how to do tricks. I potty trained her. I did all these things for her. The dog was always right there at me. I could tell them to sit. I could tell them, don't get the treat until I tell you. They would do whatever because I'm the alpha dog. And so they would do whatever. And then it was like, we don't have time. We don't have the dog and all that stuff. And then someone... we. They were able to find a home for that. So I was like, no more. There's never another animal coming here. And, and I wake up. Listen, you don't know where I live, but I wake up, and there's horses in my, they're not mine. There are horses in my backyard. There are cows standing on the bottom steps of my back porch. you get 5 o'clock in the morning when you're looking for the coffee pot, and you look out there, and you go, well, that, that's not normal. It's not supposed to be there, right? All the neighbors have all kinds of animals, cats and dogs. We, we can enjoy theirs is what my theory has been forever. No, Andrew Abney gets set, and he goes, I want a dog. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And he's like, I want a dog. He's about 18, 19 years old, and I was like, man, it ain't my dog. I said, you can have a dog, and that's it, but do not bring it around me. I'm not getting close to it. I, it breaks my heart because I like animals. I like all, all things. I, every time I'd walk in, I'd look over there and the bowl was empty. And I'd go, feed your dog. And I'd go, hashtag not my dog. And I'd say that on everything. I would text them, did you take the dog at? Hashtag not my dog. You know, over and over and over. It's, it's, it's my dog. And I can't stand because it just hurts because I know the dog comes to me, he sits to me, and he sits in my lap, and he's always on me. He buries his head under my neck, and they're over there going, hashtag not my dog, hashtag not my dog. That's this guy. This guy wasn't in it for the farming. He had a small, ewe, ewe lamb that was not for farming for the wool or for the produce. No. He said it was like a daughter. It was companion. It was friendship. It was sharing. And all of a sudden, David's heart, I can guarantee you, David's heart was going backwards and thinking about all those sheep. Listen, I'm trying not to get emotional, but all those sheep that the wolves would maim. And Brother Craig, they'd come back into the sheepfold, and as they were coming into the gate, David would take that rod and staff, but he would take that rod, and he would put it around that maimed leg and would wrap that cloth around it, and it would be a stint for that little bitty sheep. And that if they had cuts on them, he would take the oil, and he would pour it on that wound, just like he says, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. He's talking about surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David was talking about being in the sheepfold. Jesus fulfilled all that in John chapter number 10 and said, I am the door, I am the gate, I am the shepherd, I am everything, amen. I am the anointing, I'm all of it, amen. And so the Bible teaches us that David had a cord struck in him because now, because of this parable and it's been given unto him, what happens? He gets emotional. 
Man, he's almost enraged. And look at what he says. David was affected emotionally by this story. Look at verse number five. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, he said, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. Because why? He's mad at the what? The rich man. But why is he mad at the rich man? The story's not about the rich man. The story's about the ewe lamb. The reason David's mad at the rich man because of what he did to the ewe lamb. To the small, precious lamb. He is angry. Look at these words. It says, it is greatly kindled. You know what that means? It has been placed with more wood and more wood. He has stoked the fire. And Brother Reggie, now his anger is raging. And he says, the one that did this shall surely die. Look at the next verse in verse 6. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Did you know that David actually in this right here, put more on this man than what the law actually required. Did you know that if you were to go and to get a lamb, it was actually found in the book of Exodus, but that the law says if you were to go and you were to get a lamb from someone else and you were to kill it and to dress it for yourself, that you were to restore that lamb fourfold. But because David's anger is so greatly kindled, he's moving even beyond what the law says, and now he's taking it into his own hands. You know why? I wrote this down because David was convinced more about another person's sin than he was convicted by his own. He was convinced that this man who did this was the worst man on the earth, and he deserved to die, not to restore the lamb fourfold, but he deserved to die and to do what God's law says needed to be done. You know what? Isn't it easy? How easy is it for us to go out and be convinced someone else's sin out there is rotten, but never be convicted by our own? That's why when you're going to deal with accountability and be an accountability partner to someone, you must deal with your sin first before you ever go out and try to help someone else out. The the high priest had to offer a sacrifice for his sins before he offered for the sins of all of Israel. At Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement, Jesus even said, you need to get the beam or the cross tie out of your eye before you try to go get the speck or the toothpick out of your brother or your sister's eye. Amen? David was convinced this man was scum and that he needed to die and restore the lamb. But look at what verse 7 says. Nathan didn't only speak to him in a parable, but Nathan spoke plainly. And sometimes, sometimes the last resort is you just have to be plain. You have to be vanilla. As many flavors that we have in ice cream, Baskin Robbins in there, what, 32 3,300, whatever. They got all the mint chocolate chip, bubble gum pieces. I mean, you eat that and it breaks your teeth off. You know what I mean? You, you, you get all this stuff, pistachio ice cream that's just disgusting. But all this stuff. But eventually, most every one of them are made from just plain vanilla. You got to have some kind of base. And when Nathan gave that parable, and David was stirred to the point of anger, and he's holding up. You know what David or Nathan does? Nathan goes with the mirror. He says, you're the man. You know what I mean? And, and then in the next scripture, you, you don't find it. This is 7B. It's in between 7 and 8. It, you, you read these words. Dun, dun, dun. You read it. It's like, boom. You know what I mean? It, it's almost like the old thing that people do today. And, and Nathan, after said, you're the man, he just drops the mic. You know what I mean? It's like, what do you say? <laughs> you got nothing to say. Listen, here's the last thing. I think it's the last thing. Maybe about four or five more, but 
Nathan spoke on behalf or in the place of God to David. Nathan, now, I want you to look at how this conversation changes and we'll go home. It's close to time. I think we usually get out about 30 more minutes. Y'all are being quiet, but it's okay. Listen, look at verse number seven. He says, Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Now all of a sudden, Nathan is getting to the plain, simple vanilla, and he begins to speak on behalf of God. Look at the verbiage, how it changed. He says, thus says the Lord God of Israel. David, look at number one, I anointed thee king. He said, I anointed thee king over Israel. Look at number two, I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Look at number three, I have given or I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wife. Understand, listen, this is not God being a polygamist. This is not God being one, or a, uh, you know, being one that's multiple wives and doing all these things. This is not God saying, okay, it's right. What he was saying was is this, in the Orient, when a king was evil or they were done away with, then every possession that that king had, every blessing that was given to him was given to the next one. What God is saying, he says, listen, whenever I removed Saul from office, I gave you every blessing that he was blessed with. Every, every uh, duck feather in each pillow, every sheet that was on the bed of the king, all these blessings, they were all given to you. Listen to what he says. He says, I've given you uh, the master's house, master's wives in the bosom, and I gave you, look what he says, I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And then look at this fourth thing. You say, this is the same thing. It's not really. He said, and if that had been too little. <clears throat> you know what he's saying? He said, if that wouldn't have been enough. He said, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. God said, David, I anointed you. I delivered you. I give all of this stuff to you. And if that wouldn't have been enough, I would have moreover given you all kinds of things. And he begins to speak truthfully to David. And then in verse number nine, the Bible says that now God lays out David's sin before him. He says, wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. He said, Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. He said, Not only, he said, David, you allowed the enemy, those that were against God, to defeat a man of God, to kill them with that sword. You did all of these things, David. And he says this he not only tells him about what he has done, but now he tells him the verdict of his sins. And he says, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house. Because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be thy wife. He says, thus the Lord saith, or excuse me, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give, unto them, give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst secretly, he says, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. If you look at this scripture, church, you'll understand something real quick, and we're going to move and we're going to close in just a second. But the one thing I want you to see is that God lays David's sin out, verse number 9. God lays David, uh, his judgment out all the way from 10 to 14. And looking at it, he lays it all out. Look, he says, and David said unto Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, and the Lord also has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. And what's he talking about? He's saying you're not going to die an eternal death. You're not going to be separated from God. That's what he's talking about. Why? Because we are all going to die. David was going to die, but when he gave this to him, he was saying, you're not going to be separated in death. You're not going to die eternally in all this. But look at what it says in verse 14. How be it, because uh, by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, to mock, 
the name of God. And it says, and the child that is born unto thee shall surely die. And you look at this and you go, wait a minute, Brother Steve. It says there, if you would go back, Brother Britt, and looking at it, it says, the Lord said, I will raise up evil against thee out of your own house and all of these things. What God's doing here is exactly what Ephesians chapter 1 talks about, that God understands and knows because of David's sin, because of the fruit or the seed that he sowed in that sin, God knows the repercussions and the fruit that's going to come from sowing that evil thing. And God is saying, David, these things are going to happen in your own home. He said, because you're a murderer, he said, there are going to be murderers raised up in your house. Man, you think about it. He said, because of what you've done, he said, there are going to be people in your own home that are going to do the same thing. Because of your lust for Bathsheba, you're also going to see that same thing raised up in your own house. And do you know the story of what happened? The Bible says that the child died after six days it died. The Bible tells us in just a few verses later that a boy uh, that was the son of David by the name of Amnon that he actually was in love with his sister by the name of Tamar and he loved her so much but she wore this veil of colors because she was a virgin he loved her so much and he got hooked up with his cousin named Jonadab and I'll tell you something when cousins get together they're up to no good and they got together, and he said, I love her so much, it makes me sick. And Jonadab said, listen, this is what you do, man. He said, you tell your daddy that you're sick, and you tell him that you need tomorrow your sister to come in here and make a small cake for you and to tend to your needs and do all those things. And when she's in here, then you handle that then. And you know what happened? He lusted so much for her that when she came in and made the cakes for him, the Scripture says that he grabbed a hold of her and said, lie with me, my sister. She said, do not this foolishly as those that are not of Israel. I know if you would speak to our father that he would allow this thing to be. He was saying, don't, she said, don't do this, but he forced her and he raped his own sister. God told David, the same thing that you did is coming. And I want you to know something. It's not because God, God did not sow this seed. God didn't even give the verdict, church. If you look at the scripture real clear, David gave his verdict. He said, the man that hath done this thing shall restore the lamb fourfold. And David gave his own verdict. And you know what happened? One of his sons raped that other one. The child died, that's two of them. The brother by the name of Absalom said, I cannot stand my brother anymore, and we're going to go out, and as we go out into the sheep sharing, I am going to kill him, and he killed his own brother. And then Absalom ran away and stole the wives of David, which was told, God said, it's all going to happen. But see, some people want to say, well, God made all that stuff happen. No, 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 no. God didn't sow sin, and God doesn't do evil. God told David, this will happen because of what you've done and you say well what do you mean by that we'll close with this James chapter 1 verse 13 says this let no man say when he is tempted I am tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed but look at these words and when lust hath conceived it brings forth sin conceived means conception conception on it means that it, when lust is brought in it's going to bring forth a baby it's going to bring forth fruit and it says and when sin it's finished it will bring forth death the Bible says God didn't do it David did it you got to understand something. If you want an accountability partner, you don't want someone to pat you on the back and go, oh, everything's okay. You want somebody to go, it's wrong, and you need to repent of it, and you need to move forward. You need to tell them about the grace and the wonderful forgiveness of God, but you need to tell them they need to own up to it and they need to fess up to it because if they don't, they'll never get past it. 
Here's the last thing, Galatians chapter number 6, verse number 7 and 8. Be not deceived, God's not mocked. He says, For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall also reap of the flesh corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. We reap what we sow. You can't sow into your marriage iniquity and sin for 10 years. Get to the point of divorce and look at the pastor and go, pray for us and expect it to be fixed in two weeks or two days. You've sown iniquity for 10 years. You need to now go back and say, God, uproot this junk that's growing in our marriage and help us to plant new seed. You've got to do it that way. And you've got to give God time. You know what's great about this scripture? I know you're thinking, no, Brother Steve, well, what is it? Huh? I would like for you to tell me quickly so I could go home. You got a good friend. I've preached on this text a whole lot. Ever since I was young, young preacher, I've preached on this text. And I've always been overwhelmed at the story of David because David had a heart that was so passionate for God, like on fire for God. But then when he sinned, it was like, man, he, good grief. It's like you go, man, what, what were you thinking, man? And sin got a hold of him. And I'm overwhelmed at God's forgiveness. That God can take someone that was a shepherd boy, raise him up to be a king. The king committed adultery and murder and all that. But God forgive him and set him back in a good standing. Now, David suffered a long time because of his sins. Because of the seeds he sowed, he suffered for many years and had to sow good seed after that. But you know what? For about three weeks now, I've been reading this scripture and looking at it. And I've become so overwhelmed with somebody else in this scripture. The person I'm overwhelmed with is Nathan. Man, I, I got so excited the other day reading about this guy and reading about Nathan. There's not a whole lot wrote about Nathan, but reading about him and reading about all the stuff in chapter 7 and the chapter 12 of this, you know, this is a guy that's a good friend. I mean, I know he's a prophet, but he was a good friend. He was such a good friend that he was going to hold the king and his friend accountable for his sins. It's not always easy to do that. It may be easy for you to hold your children accountable. It may not be easy for you to hold your pastor accountable. It may not be easy for you to hold someone in position, maybe that at your workplace, that is your boss or someone, and you try to talk to them about their sin. It may not be easy to do that. You know what? Nathan was a good guy. He was a great friend. And I want to ask you, how thankful are you for those friends in your life that do that? How thankful are you for maybe fathers or mothers or, or pastors or maybe a, maybe a good old deacon, maybe somebody that you love or go to Sunday school with, or maybe your husband or your wife. And some of us, thank God, may, some of us may be our kids, and they hold you accountable. You know what I mean? You go, I ain't going to go to church. And they look at you and go, why? You know what I mean? Dum, dum, dum. And you go, well, you know what? I guess I'm going, right? Because they hold you accountable. How thankful are you? You know what the word Nathan means? In the Hebrew, let me give you this word, the name for Nathan, Nathan. Uh, it's big, okay? It's Nathan. You know what it means? A gift given by God. Nathan means a gift given by God. Later on, David realized what kind of friend he had in Nathan. You know why? Because one of David's sons was named Nathan. And I believe it was named after the prophet Nathan because Nathan knew he had a friend that held him accountable. How many times, I wonder, did David go back to the conversation that they had and think, wow, God, you sent Nathan. And the way that he told it to me just hit me in the heart, showed me in conviction, 
God, I'm thankful for Nathan. I don't know about y'all, but I'm thankful for people that hold me accountable. And you should be too. Let's pray about that. Father, as we close tonight, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for people in our lives that are obedient. And Lord, as we talked about earlier, they're sent by you. God, help us to never be angry or be um, offended by godly people that come and talk to us about where we are in our lives. Help us to look at that and go, man, what a friend, what a friend that we have. Thank you for the story of Nathan. God, thank you for speaking into my heart for the last few weeks about Nathan and, and, and just to sit back and reflect on people that have, have done that in my life. Lord, men of God, women of God, older women of God that have held me accountable, have um, in some way spiritually called me out on things. God, I thank you for that. Lord, let us please uh, be Nathans to our friends. Let us be the one that would speak with a beautiful parable, but yet if it come down to it, that we'd speak plainly to them also. God, go with us tonight as we uh, go home, keep us safe. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you do for us and all the praise and all the glory goes to you. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it together. Amen.